come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I am your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Donna. I'm your polter guide, Adrian. And this week, we watched the 2021 film Halloween Kills. And for those of you that don't know what it is about, well, one, I'll just tell you right now, we're going to get into spoilers super fast. Uh, our good, good Especially buddy- spoilers for the other Halloween movie. That too. Uh, but our good, good buddies at IMDb want you to know that the saga of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode continues in the next thrilling chapter of the Halloween series. All right. That's just super generic. So before I give our summary of the film, let's do a real quick. Did you like it? Did you not like it? How did you see it even since there were two options available? I saw it in my living, well, in my computer room. And I had to get up halfway through to help my dad order pretzels in order to support uh, St. Jude's Children Hospital. So, you know, that kind of broke the tension somewhat. But, uh, yeah, no, I saw it just sitting here at my computer. Um, I didn't love it. And I'll talk more about some of why. But um, I was just really uncomfortable through most of it and some of that i think i was supposed to be i think some of the discomfort was intended and some of the discomfort was maybe not intended but um i i didn't i didn't love this movie and i'm i'm just a little frustrated that it happened so okay i'm 100 with with donna actually um i have a deeper uh idea on why i found this movie uncomfortable um, I honestly, oh, I saw it in my, uh, like on my computer. Um, but I, uh, I kind of went into it thinking that I wasn't going to like it because I thought the last one was just chef's kiss. And I thought that this one was probably going to just start off by undoing everything in the last movie. And I was right. Um, and, and then it took a turn for a moment where I was like, oh, actually, I think I might be into this. And then I wasn't. All right. Uh, I saw this. I did the theater and then I did in my living room because I knew with films like these, I like to try to catch it twice just because I want to pay attention and be in the moment than try to like, oh, I got to take jot notes, got to take this down. Uh, So like I saw it Friday night and then like Saturday afternoon. So I kind of uh, saw it pretty close together i actually enjoyed it um i knew it wasn't going to be as good as 2018s and and from what i'd been hearing and i hadn't heard anything specific but i had heard there was already a lot of discourse like either you liked it or you didn't uh on twitter so i kind of was knew that going in you know it's not perfect and it's definitely not 2018 but i'm not mad at watching it if that makes sense um and I know we'll get into the parts that, that are uncomfortable and unsettling. And yeah, I think that's going to be interesting to discuss. Um, 
as Donna mentioned last week, we are uh, trying to be better at giving summaries of the movie that we watch and everything. So today is my turn on the summary. I actually went to the Halloween series wiki. So it, it opens up with Cameron Alam finds a wounded deputy Frank Hawkins while walking home from a Halloween party. Hawkins regrets withholding serial killer Michael Myers execution and resolves to kill him himself that night. In a flashback to 1978, Hawkins accidentally shoots and kills his partner in pursuit of Michael before preventing Michael's psychiatrist, Samuel Loomis, from executing him in front of Michael Myers' childhood home. In present day, Tommy Doyle celebrates the 40th year anniversary of Michael's imprisonment with longtime friends Marion Chambers, Lindsay Wallace, and Cameron's dad, Lonnie Illum. I'm so butchering that. Meanwhile, after their confrontation with Michael, Lori Strode, her daughter Karen, and her granddaughter Allison are horrified when a group of firefighters arrive at the burning Strode residence, accidentally freeing Michael from the basement. Using their tools, Michael single-handedly murders the, the firefighters before driving back to Hanfield, Illinois. Karen and Allison submit Lori to emergency surgery while Michael kills an elderly couple in their home. An emergency alert informs Tommy, Marion, and Lindsay and Lonnie of Michael's escape before bar patron Vanessa supposedly encounters Michael in the backseat of her car. Tommy and the others confront Michael as the car drives away and crashes. The driver leaves unnoticed by the crowd en route to collect Cameron. Tommy forms a mob full of vengeful Haddonfield citizens to hunt down Michael before he can hurt anyone else. Karen and Allison are informed of Michael's escape information that Karen decides to withhold from Lori so that she can recover. Cameron invites Allison in joining him and his father to hunt down Michael while Lori and Hawkins awake and reminisce about their former relationship. Elsewhere, Marion, Lindsay, Vanessa, and her husband, Marcus, are attacked by Michael while warning Haddonfield citizens to stay inside. All but Lindsay are killed as Tommy, Lonnie, Cameron, and Allison subsequently find Lindsay alive. While Tommy takes Lindsay to the hospital, Lonnie, Cameron, and Allison map out Michael's victims and deduce that he's heading to his childhood home. Meanwhile, Tommy reunites with former Haddonfield Sheriff Lee Brackett, whose daughter Annie Brackett was killed in the 1978 attack. Tommy organizes a mob of hundreds of Haddonfield citizens, informing Lori of Michael's survival. Meanwhile, Michael murders the current homeowners of his childhood home as Lori prepares to kill Michael herself. Meanwhile, escaped convict Lance Tavoli turns out to be the mysterious driver of Vanessa's car, is chased by Tommy's mob after being believed to be Michael by the Haddonfield citizens. Lance is forced to jump out the hospital's window to his death while Lori suffers an injury to her recent wound. Bedridden, Lori urges Karen to help hunt down Michael with Tommy. At Michael's childhood home, Lonnie heads in alone, but Allison and Cameron follow and find Lonnie's body in the attic as Michael subsequently murders Cameron upstairs. Allison breaks her leg after falling down the stairs as Karen stabs Michael with a pitchfork. She removes his mask and taunts him, allowing Allison to escape. Karen leads Michael to Tommy's mob at the nearby alley. Michael is subsequently, they love that word, swarmed by the mob and gets destroyed, seemingly killed when Karen delivers the final blow with his knife. As the mob disperses, Michael gets up and slits Brackett's throat and kills the mob one by one, ending with Tommy killing him with his own baseball bat. Returning to Michael's childhood home, Karen stares into the window, the upstairs window. Karen recalls a story about Michael endlessly staring out the window. Karen heads upstairs and stares out 
stares out of it as well, but Michael confronts her, seemingly stabs her to death as Lori stares out of her hospital window. Yep. Yep. So I don't think I missed anything. So this is why I used Halloween wikis. So thank you, Halloween wikis. Uh, So editor Billy would like me to make two points. One, he thinks that it was a missed opportunity for the naming of Big John and Little John where they should have been Stu and Billy. So then it could be Halloween now uh, calling back to Scream since Scream called back to Halloween. He felt that was a missed opportunity. Agree. And he really enjoyed the use of Chekhov's pitchfork and the payoff of it. (laughs) Chekhov's pitchfork. That's awesome. Chekhov's pitchfork. To... um... Connor's point that they undid everything. I just want to. I just want to get on that because I think Connor and I shared this concern. Um, one of the things I really enjoyed about Halloween 2018, I just I really love this trend we're seeing in movies that are being made right now of just really letting women be powerful. Uh, it's it's something. We're seeing we're seeing movies tell women's stories better, which is that, that women are are needing to have their power recognized and acknowledged. That's that's women are not needing to grow into their power. Women are not needing to earn their power. Women are needing to have their power acknowledged and recognized. And that's one of the things that the Halloween movie did. Uh, so we had we had Lori estranged from her daughter and her granddaughter. And when finally those three came together and started working together. They did incredible things working together. The three of them, it was very affirming. It was very powerful and they were able to trap this unstoppable force. And I mean, theoretically they were, they were going to kill him. I mean, he was trapped in a burning house, right? He would have died. Um, So there, so it was it was powerful and it was affirming, and um, I was I was really worried as as Connor was that that they were going to undo it, and um, I kind of feel like they did they did you know all it took was a bunch of men to come in and undo it, which is maybe something that's kind of worth saying, but <laughs> big but here I feel like so one of one of my big problems with The Walking Dead. And the reason that I stopped watching The Walking Dead was that it never mattered how how much the characters had their shit together. It didn't matter how many good decisions they made. They were fucked. Like Murphy's Law was always going to happen. They like something was going to break. There were going to be zombies under the water. Like they're, they're, they were just always fucked. No matter how well they planned, no matter what precautions they took their precautions were going to be undone and somebody was going to die or get bitten or whatever. And it got to the point where that wasn't scary to me anymore. It was just frustrating. It was just watching people get fucked over and over and over with no tension because I knew it was going to happen. And that's sort of what this movie ends up feeling like to me, where it doesn't matter what anybody does or how good the plan is. You can't beat him. And that gets to a point of not scary. 
Mm-hmm. It's just, um, it's, it's just, it's like, <laughs> do you remember when Mac used to say that if zombies happened, he would simply die? It's like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, it takes out all of my, like, there's no reason to fight this. You're going to end up at the bottom of a staircase with a broken leg, watching everybody you love die terribly. So just like, take that, like, just, just exit early. And I, I don't like that. I very much do not enjoy this messaging. No, I definitely agree. The always with, with the first film and with this film, when the three women are together, it is the strongest. It is the best the film does is when they're together and it's their story and they're working together like that is always the strongest. It's always the best. And the side plots for whatever reason, definitely at times can falter because there is a lot going on with those like a lot but i find it interesting that it shows this entire town is infected by him that it's not it's i mean i'm not saying i don't enjoy Lori's story because i do you know i do anyone that's listened to any of these episodes but it's interesting to see the ripple effects of that night in 1978 like to me that is very interesting. Uh, could it have been done better? Of course, but I like the ripple effects uh, that there's a lot of people affected. Uh, I do want to point out some interesting parallels that one, we meet Lance, the the inmate. We actually meet him at the asylum. He's got the umbrella in 2018. We meet him. Uh, the fact Back in the original Halloween, the 78 one, we've got uh, one, Lonnie, uh, Lonnie's the one that trips Tommy and destroys his pumpkin and meets Michael Myers. Then Uh, the recreation of the 78 stuff, that's the exact same jacket, the same shirt Lonnie is wearing in the 78 version. Like there's a lot of detail that they do when Loomis in Halloween 2, the 81 version, when he's investigating at the beginning, trying to find where Michael's at, that almost looks like that exact same alley that uh, they're in in the 2021 version, as well as the logo for the hospital is the exact same one from the 81 version. Like, I think that is why there is some of the the frustration with this because there is so much love and attention to detail and i think that's why some people with the misstep like it it bothers them the the recreation was so good like it was so good i was watching it with my friend jay and she was like when what year was this movie made like that's how good this recreation was well we yeah on saturday we went back and pulled the 78 Halloween, the 2018 Halloween, and then the 81 Halloween too, to catch those bits that they referenced to see how well they were done. And it was so well done. And then you add in Loomis, that was all practical effects. That wasn't CGI. Like you add that in and there is, there is a lot of love poured in for a story that kind of sometimes would miss a beat. Yeah. Um, so I guess this is a, as good a time as any to get into this, but like, you know, my, 
I, I feel like if you feel uncomfortable when you're watching a horror movie, that's fine. <laughs> like you, you, you probably should at some point, but the discomfort that I felt while watching this movie was very similar to realizing that the things I like are the butt of the joke. Um, and, and it took me a little while to sort of like figure out exactly what it was that I was feeling and why, but I think, I swear this is going to be relevant. So just bear with me. So there's been a lot of calling out of the true crime fandom lately, right? Because there's some, there's some sketchy shit happening there. Like, you know, some of these true crime fans who are getting tattoos of serial killers or wearing merch for killers who with victims who are still alive or like victims, families who are still alive. Right. And that's problematic. Um, and I remember there was this YouTuber and I wish that I could remember which one because I like her, but she was kind of talking about it and calling it out as being problematic. And in the video, she was wearing a Texas Chainsaw Massacre t-shirt and a whole bunch of people kind of got on to her about being a hypocrite for doing this video and wearing a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And so then she kind of had to do a video where she explained the difference between fiction and nonfiction to people and how Leatherface doesn't have any living victims or victims' families because he's not fucking real. Um, and this movie kind of felt like that to me, the way that it was lingering on the, the first off, the way that it really, really humanized and characterized the victims um, was like good, but then also it lingered on what Michael was doing with their bodies in a way that wasn't, and, and bear with me, um, it wasn't like the high adrenaline fun that you get in a lot of horror movies or slasher movies. It was just uncomfortable and sad. And I felt bad for like watching this. Like I felt pun like, like I, I was feeling punished. Like the movie wanted to be like, Oh, you like movies like this? Well, here you go. This is what you like. Right. It felt like it, it felt like a uh, quote unquote normies version of what horror movies are if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does. Yes. And so that's where my discomfort was coming from. There was just this like, <sighs> yeah, I, mm. yeah. Thank you for articulating that, that yes. Thank you. I, I feel like there's, there's more clarity I could get here, but I'm, 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 I can't quite articulate the rest of it. It felt like it was making horror into something real. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, that is due to, I don't want to say tonal shift, but by showing the Myers infection. You know what? That's the only way I can describe it, like of the town. You know what? I, does that make sense? Like, it, it does kind of, but I guess, mm, okay, so uh, I don't know. Maybe Halloween should stay in its lane and not try to take Nightmare on Elm Street's thing because the idea of infection. And mob mentality is definitely like Nightmare on Elm Street's wheelhouse. And um, I feel like this movie wanted to be saying something with its big mob scenes. Um, but uh, I didn't like it. <laughs> um, I, I feel like this could have been a really poignant 
and uh, emotionally impactful scene somewhere. But in this movie, I have a lot of layered issues here. First off, my first problem is the way that Lori is absolved by herself and the movie of any wrongdoing. Because first off, she panicked first. She panicked first and she called out Michael's name when everybody saw this guy. She's the one who told them this was Michael. And then the movie doesn't want her to be at fault for this. So then we're taking it back. She's the one who's like, no, no, it's not him. It's not him. And suddenly nobody's listening to her. Nobody is listening to her. They are flat out ignoring her. It's like she's not talking. And that's not how people work. Somebody in that group can hear her. There should at least be like some infighting in the group, right? Like, like I've seen humans. Um, I like to believe I'm one of them. Nobody's paying attention to her. And it seems like at least one person would be like, wait, that's not him. Because humans do have the capability to think and reason through things and hear people of authority. That is one of the flaws that we have in many sociological sociological studies is that we listen to people in authority. And in this case, Lori is an authority. So then she goes and she has the whole conversation with drugged out Hawkins um, where she basically absolves herself where she's like, I tried to tell them, but they wouldn't listen. Oh, well, I did my best. And is then wiped clean of the fact that she started this terrified mob going after this innocent man. And some of the shots are just fucking weird. Like when her daughter is standing in front of the door, first off, if I were trying to save somebody from getting mobbed by people, I would not put space between me and the door. That's a weird thing to do. That was weird. And secondly, the very first shots they show of her, she's completely silent. She's just letting these people run past her and doing fucking nothing. Is it cinematic? Yeah. Does it fuck up your message? Yeah. Um, And then it does show her yelling. And again, nobody listening. And I just like, that's not how human beings are. That's not how human beings behave. We're not talking about a fire in the building where people are literally running for their lives. We're talking about people watching a man on the other side of these doors be not Michael Myers, be a fucking foot shorter while also being told it's not him, while also seeing him go in the opposite direction to flee. Like, come on, movie. Yeah, mob mentality sucks and it's bad and it's dangerous, but it doesn't work like this. And I just feel like that undercuts what they're saying a lot. I think the crowd was already worked up before the hospital because of Tommy. I mean, yes, Lori adds to it, but they were already pretty fired up. Tommy had had been getting them going well before they arrived at the hospital. And I'm like you, I do want to think that, you know, humans would listen, but honestly, and we we're kind of starting to talk about this off mic. The scene plays differently to me after January 6th and seeing that. And that's why I think it works from seeing that that is i i understand what you were saying and i'm not disagreeing with you i'm just to me that's why it works and why it's 
Honestly, it's a little bit terrifying. To be clear, when you talk about January 6th, you're talking about the people who like fucking the, stormed the White House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The insurrection. Yeah, yeah. Those fuckers. I think that there's a there's a couple of differences here. And I also watched I, I thought of something else when watching the scene. But first, there weren't really anybody. There wasn't anybody being like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. That was all like righteous, fun indignation. Like what I saw there were a whole bunch of people who were like, look at what we can do because we're not going to get in trouble for this. And also their God King telling them that they should keep doing it. Yeah. And I, in any, in the videos I saw, I didn't see a lot of pushback on them. There wasn't anybody that was like, yo guys, maybe we shouldn't do this except people that they already thought were wrong. And the difference to me here is that Lori is a fucking authority on this and Ignore the cops. Yeah, absolutely. Tommy got them riled up against the cops. I'm fine with that. But then they're ignoring the Strodes as well. And um, I feel like the other difference here is that, and okay, so just listen close. Like I'm going to try really hard to say what I mean to say here and not say something unintended. Nobody was purposely killed on January 6th, right? No, there was... There were, accidental. I, I think I think I could agree with that. There, okay. there were there were deaths, but I don't think any of them were intentional. Yeah, like my understanding of that whole thing is what they were trying to do was just storm the White House and and get the get. Now I their, think if I think their, if they'd gotten their hands on Nancy Pelosi or AOC, there might have been some intentional deaths. Yeah, I was going to say there was some that I. From what I understood that they I know that there were threats. There was there were yelling and intention, um, but their goal was to get in there. They weren't like, we're going to go kill this motherfucker right now. Their goal was get in and get our person back where he belongs. It doesn't make sense. There's their plan is bad. It doesn't make sense. This one, the one and only goal is to kill that guy. And it's not him. Like, it's so clearly not him. This is a hunched over motherfucker who, like, is moving like a scared, twitchy rat and has long hair that should have been visible under the mask and is shorter. Like, like, like my problem with this mob mentality is that, yes, people get stupid when they're in mobs, but not brainless. And then my further problem is that I understand, like, like, I can totally see the January, like how this plays differently after January 6th. This also to me plays a lot differently after me too, which it was made after. And so I don't know watching a movie undo a whole bunch of work made like like that the women did in the previous film so that some white guys can be shown to be the wrong white guy feels bad to me in a way as well i hadn't thought about me too as an internet mob mentality now i will say it's not the movie's responsibility to think of every angle that this movie could be considered and thought of it is not in any regard that um but i just i don't know it it was the it just paired with the undoing of the stuff in the first movie there's just a lot of things watching this movie that made me kind of go hmm I think that you're trying to say something, but I think I'm getting a different message. 
you know, I think that's probably dead on. Yeah. Is that they may have been sending a different mess. This is going to be a weird analogy, but uh, the first Austin Powers movie. <laughs> this is a weird I, analogy. Uh, it's already started. It's fantastic. I, I really liked it because the the Austin Powers character, you know, he kind of he came from the. 60s with the whole free love and and all that stuff but he really was he really was a good character and the dr evil uh he was a good he was a good guy it's just the the mores the morals and mores where he came from were so different from the what was it the 90s i think yeah. it was the 90s movie wasn't it so yeah the, he got transplanted into the 90s and what was good and appropriate for the time period that he came from was so different that he was just considered this bizarre weird jerk and over the course of the movie he kind of adapted himself to fit into that and became a good guy according to the and he he made a comment somewhere in the middle of the movie where something along the lines of if we had known the consequences of our sexual revolution we would have done things differently but the message would have remained the same and i really loved that comment in the in the context of the movie like hey you know we were trying to do good things and yeah some kind of bad things came out of that but what we were trying to do was a good thing is kind of the point of it. Um, and then the second movie came out and just completely undid everything this first movie did. And I, that's kind of a little bit of what I'm feeling right now. Like the first movie did some really good things and really, you know, really empowered these characters. You know, they worked together and, and by working together, they, they accomplished great things. And then the second movie just blew it up and undid all of it. And now like Connor said, there's this message there that they may not have meant. They may not have meant the message that they sent, but yeah, they're sending this message that you're kind of going, is that really what you meant to say? So um, there, that's my analogy, the Austin Powers uh, analogy. Um, so then that means Michael Myers in the in Halloween Ends is going to want to smoke in a pancake? Because now I kind of I kind of want to see that happen. I just want to acknowledge gold. that Donna managed to compare Mike Myers to Michael Myers <laughs> without ever once realizing she had done so. <laughs> <laughs> that is oh, that's brilliant, and I love it so much. I um I sort of missed the news that this was a planned trilogy. Um, once that once it was said to me, I kind of like had a dim light somewhere in the far recesses of my brain that was like, oh yeah. But um, I'm honestly a little bit surprised at that fact because it feels like it feels like Halloween 2018 was such a good movie. It was, in my opinion, very nearly fucking perfect, and I just. It didn't even have like the fucking stinger at the end, really, you know, like it had Michael breathing, but whatever they, you know, I'm too like, I'm inoculated to that kind of stinger at the end of a horror movie. It doesn't mean anything. And, and I don't know to like make that movie fucking knowing that you're going to like undo all of it. It feels like a willful waste of my time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And everything that we are talking about, this is why this film 
is so decisive. Like if you go anywhere on the internet, you have so many different people have so many different reactions to it. I imagine, like, I think that when the third one comes out, it's either going to be like, ah, yes, this was worth it. Or what I'm expecting I'm more likely going to be like is like, I don't know. You guys are good with the first one. They're going to kill Lori. I mean, they're probably going to kill Lori and it's probably going to piss me off. Um, Or they're going to re-kill Michael in a way that is less good. That showed they could have done it all along. Um, It's, I don't know, it's really hard. And I think no matter what happens, this movie, even if the next movie is just wicked killer good, right? This movie, I think, is always going to be like the uh, of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't like I don't think that you can salvage a piece of media by making the next part better. Really? Like whenever people are like, oh, you should watch this show. It's kind of uh, until season two. But once you get to season two, it's great. I'm kind of like, but is it great? Because if I had to watch two fucking years of bullshit to get to the good part. Why the fuck would I do that to myself? So would you guys say this is the last Jedi of the Halloween series? Oh, you want to fight now? (laughs) I do not have a problem with the last Jedi. I'm just, I'm just, because that film is also super decisive. I'm just, I am making the comparison. That is all I am doing is that I am being devil's advocate, which I love to do. And just making that comparison because hey, hey, hey! You know who doesn't need an advocate? Who? The devil. Donna, <laughs> <laughs> was that your inner Southern Baptist girl talking to my little hellion? Because I feel like it was. <laughs> no, but both films are second film in a new trilogy. Super decisive. Um, yeah, I, I wear as I I enjoy this film. I'm not saying I don't enjoy The Last Jedi, but I also see problems in both. So I just, yeah, I'm I'm just throwing that out there. Oh, oh, I had another. So I thought it was really funny because the day that I watched this movie, I had an epiphany about um, role-playing games. I don't know how familiar either of you are with the World of Darkness role-playing setting. I know of it. I don't know how familiar any of our audience is, so I'll give a quick rundown of it, right? Um, World of Darkness assumes that the supernatural is real, right? There are mages, vampires, changelings, werewolves, um, undead things. Like, just there's fucking Prometheans, which are Frankenstein monsters. Like, there's whatever you want, basically. You can find it in World of Darkness, modern day setting. And every time I had ever played the game, I'd always thought to myself, how the fuck is the supernatural hidden in this world? Um, vampire is probably the most popular game they have from this setting. And the vampires have this thing called the masquerade, which is you pretend that vampires don't exist to the human world. And if you break the masquerade by letting humans know that the vampires are real, the vampires will fucking kill you or something because it's just, that's just not what you do. And each of the different groups has their own thing that maintains the status quo, the Sunnydale effect, right? Um, mages have paradox which is basically like if they cast any big overt spells reality itself is kind of like wait no nobody's gonna buy that and we'll like lash back at the mage that did it but every time I'd ever played it was like every single supernatural faction had an entire city's worth 
of NPCs there. And I was always just left being like, how does anybody not know? Like, how, it, how is anybody maintaining this lie that the supernatural isn't real? Because there's so fucking many of them. And then just yesterday, I realized every game I'd ever played in this system was fucking up the scale. Like, they talked about these certain kind of vampires that lived in the sewers because they were like Nosferatu. They looked like Nosferatu. Like, their, their, their turning changed their bodies. And so they hid in the sewers. And I had always pictured just fucking a city of Nosferatu in the sewers. And then I was suddenly like, oh, I'm wrong. There's not like a city. There's like five tops. Like in New York, you might have five of these vampires in the fucking sewer. I've got it wrong. Everybody's got it wrong. We keep doing these sprawling compounds of supernatural beings and we're fucking it up. And I feel like this movie has done exactly that. It's taken a small supernatural occurrence that maybe in the right light isn't even supernatural. And now it's gone so big that I'm like, what's your next, what's your next thing? Because going this big with a supernatural occurrence in a movie that's set in the modern day kind of makes me be like, if you don't fucking Roanoke these people and have some reality bending reason for this to not affect the world, I'm going to start fucking questioning your entire world because other supernatural occurrences should have fucking happened by now. We have the internet. You've established that this is firmly modern day. So explain yourself. And like, this isn't a problem that I have necessarily with one more one-off movies like Halloween three, like sure, whatever. I don't question that because it's not part of the larger franchise. It's a one-off. It's a one-time event that I don't have to think about between movies. That makes Tom Atkins so sad that you don't. <laughs> oh no, listen, that is legitimately my favorite of the Halloween movies. I love that one. Unironically, I fucking love it. Adrian, that makes my heart like so fucking happy. I, I cannot <laughs> even tell you how happy that makes my it's heart. So it's so good. And I regularly think about how much different the Halloween franchise would have been if they'd gone with that anthology thing and like wish that I lived in that timeline because I bet it's better over there. Um, but when you have like a one-off movie like that, I don't have to think about the larger implications of your world because I don't have to wait a year between the next installments. But with this, it does. Like I start thinking about the world and the mythology and how has this happened here and not ever anywhere else. I just want to say how thrilled I am that you used Roanoke as a verb. That's it. I just, <laughs> I, you used Roanoke as a verb and I'm going to spend the rest of my life looking for an opportunity to use Roanoke as a verb. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but yeah, also I agree that that has to happen because this can't be allowed to exist in the world. So speaking of Halloween three, I have to do another little callback that I really enjoyed that the mask that the kids were wearing, which one we know those are the Halloween three masks, but it has a fucking silver shamrock logo on the back of them. Does it? I missed that. Yes. It's, it's one shot when they're spinning around on the little 
carousel and you see his murder tableau, but it's on the pumpkin one. And it's just as it's going, you see it and it's bright green. So it sticks out really well. And oh, man, like I'm watching it. I'm literally hitting Billy like this because I'm so excited about it. And he's looking at me like, yeah, we know the mask are in it, babe. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so after the movie, I he I started talking about that scene. He's like. Yeah, we know the mask. Right? I'm like, no, it had the logo of the mask. He's like, oh, that's why you were hitting me. Okay, got it. Do you know what I loved about that scene though? Normally, when you see an Easter egg in a uh, in a movie, it's in a moment where you can stop and laugh about it. That Easter egg was in a super intense moment when you know you really shouldn't stop and laugh about it. You were like. Oh my God, look what's going on here. So I, I, I appreciated the, the uniqueness of putting that particular Easter egg in that particular moment. I thought that was um, an interesting choice. And I think it actually, in a weird way, kind of added to the tension. Yeah. So I also, I've been to bring this up earlier, but some other interesting parallels between this film and the original Halloween 2. Because one, this film, like Halloween 2, it's a continuation of the same night. Halloween 2 was released in 81. This is released in 21. So 40 years still. And this film, like Halloween 2, Lori spends a good chunk of the movie in a hospital bed. Mm. Yeah. So another... Yeah, she doesn't get out of the hospital in this movie, does she? mm and I mean, she technically gets to the parking lot as far in Halloween too, so she doesn't uh, doesn't even make it that far. So, so one thing now, I I was happy to see Anthony Michael Hall. It's it's good to see Anthony Michael Hall in things. Um, it is, yeah. But um, it just felt. I don't know, unearned. I mean, it was a nice callback because like, like we said earlier, it's good to see how that incident 40 years ago has just continued to impact this little town. I mean, that's good to see, but it really felt unearned that these two guys were just suddenly the stars of this film. Like I just found myself going, okay, yeah, it's Anthony Michael Hall, but otherwise who are these guys and why are they suddenly the stars of this film? Uh, it kind of, it kind of bothered me that just all of a sudden they're in charge and they're barking orders and rounding up the town. And, and by the way, why did the cute doctor just get murdered? I'm not thrilled about that. And also the stupid way she died. I'm not thrilled about that either. So I don't know. Glad to see Anthony Michael Hall, not thrilled with the way he was introduced and, any of that so yeah um and to add on to that i feel like the movie. this is also part of like the scale problem i think i was having with this but the movie itself didn't seem to know the scale of michael myers mm-hmm. like when he gets up on stage he starts talking about it and he acknowledges that some people might be too young to remember it or not mm-hmm. or too young to know about it mm-hmm. not even remember but too young to know and like those kids did not seem to know that it, that was Michael Myers's house. And so that seems weird to me that you would take this story that has been basically forgotten. First off, it's weird to me that the story's forgotten, but whatever. 
um, you would take the story that's basically forgotten and then use it to, in the in a matter of hours, absolutely infect this town with paranoia and a fucking riot mob with pitchforks and torches. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no build. You know, at least Frankenstein had a few days of buildup. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent point. Either it's a story that has kept the town terrified for 40 years, or it's a story that's mostly forgotten. And which you can't have it both ways. Yeah. The movie doesn't seem to know which one it is. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. I think this also, that example goes back to Adrian's Nightmare on Elm Street mention of staying in the wheelhouse because that's, I know that was one of the things with Nightmare on Elm Street is the children didn't know of Freddie where mm-hmm. all the adults knew and, and had made an active effort not to tell them. Yeah. And like, yeah. So that kind of plays back into your point that you made earlier. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the Johns real quick? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I love them so much um they were just the biggest drama gays i have ever seen (laughs) and i am fucking here for that i want the origin story on them i want to watch a whole television show about them shopping for their house and deciding on that one um i want to subscribe to their newsletter and i am choosing the headcanon in which they defeat michael myers in that house Yes. Internet, give me my fan fiction. Well, I went with the headcanon that they weren't actually dead, that they were nearly dead. But after everything, they were only mostly dead. Yeah. Yeah. They were only mostly dead. And after everything settled down, they were able to be saved. Yeah. And then, and then they moved out of Michael Myers' house because, of course. But they're also going to make a shit ton of money because of the true crime boon and how much work they did. Cause it looked fantastic on the inside. Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, I think they stay in the house and they de- defend it and they start their own true crime podcast. I like it. I yeah. like that. I do too. At, at first I was a little annoyed. Like how in the world do they go around calling each other big John and little John all the time. And by the end, I was like, I was into it. I was mm-hmm. into them calling each other Big John and Little John all the time. I loved them so much. I love both both those actors. Like uh, Big John, we used to watch the show called The Mick, and he was so funny, so funny in it, and just killing it. And then, of course, Little John, I remember from Mad TV as Stuart, and so the internet has exploded with now Stuart and Michael Meyer memes and I love them so fantastic and I will I will look at them all the time I don't care because they're great he he they, like it would have been really easy for these characters to be just high key offensive mm-hmm. and I think that they're probably low key offensive but like I'm still here for them like I I really I just really enjoyed every scene that they were in. Like, honestly, they were my favorite part of the movie. Um, I even really enjoyed like the scene where they got pranked. I was like, legit, that's a good Halloween prank. They were giving out the full-size candy bars. I love that. Like it shows what the kids are willing to do for these full-size candy bars. It all felt like really great Halloween fun right there. Mm -hmm. Um, I was into just everything that had to do with them. Mm -hmm. 
also those kids were great. I want to watch the movie where those kids just go have a Halloween night. Um, I feel like that would have been a more fun movie. I'd like those kids were straight out of fucking trick or treat. Oh my God. They were that really, I just, I just realized like that whole bit could have just been like put into trick or treat seamlessly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's something on the cutting room floor. (laughs) to make the film a little bit tighter but yeah i i agree either they were the only people ever in the history of ever to successfully fight off michael myers or they're not actually dead and they were able to be saved that's the true truth he felt bad for what he did so that's why he put on their favorite record because they said hey, this is our favorite record. And then he had them in the picture that he saw initially and really loved and put them back there and was like, stay here. I'm going to go get help. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we go back and get that doctor and nurse that I also did not kill earlier. Yeah. I'll bring them to you. Because I feel really bad because I love that your names are Big John and Little John. He was like, you guys can actually live in my house. That is fine. Yeah. All right. That reminds me, I need to do a medical corner. I I must do a quick medical corner. So the first thing, the nurse that he killed by jamming a knife vertically through the eye socket. You know what's not vertically through the eye socket? Any brain at all. You know what's right here? Sinus tissue. Sinus tissue and skull. Yep. So that nurse is just fine. There's nothing wrong with that nurse at all. Probably needs some antibiotics so he doesn't get an infection, but he's fine. I mean, he's probably going to get a like a super infection, though. I mean, he might lose the eye. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe, but it looked like it went above the eye. The eye does the- have a way of squishing out of the way. Absolutely. Our eyes are um, we're we are we are well designed to protect our eyes. So I, I think his eye is fine. And uh He's probably going to have a sinus infection. He's, I mean, he's, he's injured. Don't get me wrong, but I think he's going to live. But thing too, Cameron, when he got a knife to the gut, don't pull the knife out. You guys don't pull it out. I know it's uncomfortable. I get that. Okay. Not uncomfortable. I know it hurts really, really bad. Don't pull it out because it's going to be worse when you pull it out. Don't pull it out. Basically, if you get impaled on anything, just leave it in there. Donna, Dr. Donna will be so very proud to hear this. But when Cameron did that, our editor, Billy, was like, no, my guy, that's don't. That's 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 how you get dead. Don't do that. He he was uh, concurring when I when I was. This is a bad story. Some of some of you may not may want to skip ahead like 30 seconds. Actually, I tell long stories. You might want to skip ahead 90 seconds. There was this horse that had attempted to jump over a fence. And apparently this was not one of these beautiful, graceful horses. And instead of jumping over the fence, it jumped onto a fence post. And um, the the horse owner was one of the smart people and um, just cut the fence post off and brought the horse and the fence post in together. And um, <laughs> the horse came in with the fence post sticking out the bottom of the belly and the fence post sticking out the top of the horse. And that was the lucky horse, luckiest horse ever in the history of horses because that fence post injured exactly nothing inside the horse. And um, Wow. 
yeah. that story was much better than I expected. Same, yeah. same. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, basically everything inside the horse went, Oh, fence post, fence post. <laughs> and got out of the way. And, um, the horse just needed a lot of antibiotics and a little bit of suturing and was fine. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, just don't, don't pull the knife out because it might be stopping you from bleeding to death. So you, you brought up Cameron and I will say this film one. I appreciate that he still wore his dress as he was doing his mom thing and did not complain one damn bit. I love that. I thought Uh that was fantastic that he was like, no, we got to get this done. And he saw his dress on and I thought that was great Two. He was at least better than I, because I did not really like him in 2018. Like he was, yeah. he, like he was trying. He was like, "Yeah, I fucked up. I fucked up bad." So I gotta, you know. I didn't remember him at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I spent most of the movie just being like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" <laughs> and the fact that you guys know him now, I'm like, "Oh, I guess I should have like looked that up or something." <laughs> Well, it's kind of funny because I started to watch this movie and I was kind of like that, like, who the fuck is this guy in a dress? And uh, then when I watched it yesterday, it was, it was like, I guess that that one week break, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the granddaughter's boyfriend. Oh, yeah. They were dressed as Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the cool best friend. Oh, yeah. I liked him. Too bad he's dead. Yeah. So big memories now mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so all right well do we have anything else before heading into roll polling quotes um i ha- at the very end when uh karen lured michael into the um trap yeah um i was really surprised at the reaction the emotional reaction i had which was just basically oh this isn't cool I don't know why I reacted to Michael being lured into a trap with this isn't cool, but I didn't like it. I was like, I was okay with him being trapped in the basement of a burning house. I was like, yes, that's cool. But him being lured into a mob, into a lynching as not cool, but I did not, I didn't like that. I think because the movie was sort of portraying it as a good thing. At that point, mm-hmm. like, look, she was clever. She brought them. She brought him to the mob. But the movie had already shown us how bad it is. And mm-hmm. also, um, you know, we're from fucking Tulsa. Like, oh, 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 um, we've done a lot of reckoning over the last few years about fucking lynch mobs, <laughs> like like literal lynch mobs. And so the I like, I don't know. I just have a really difficult time with the idea, like. Because there is a difference between self-defense, leaving the fucking killer in a burning basement, and then being witness to a whole fucking group of white people gleefully beating the shit out of somebody. Like, beating this person to death. There is a difference there. This is not his victims fighting back. This is his victims, and then a whole bunch of random fucking people that had nothing to do with the crimes that were committed against these people and are just along for the violence and glee. I love how this whole podcast has been me going, this made me uncomfortable. And Adrian going, 
this is why. And me going, ooh. My other thought why it's uncomfortable is because Karen is the one bringing them to the mob because Karen was also the one against the mob and trying to stop the mob and all very vocal and the fact that you're, you're seeing Karen do this. That's the other reason. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing. I, I, I didn't even think about Tulsa in that mob mentality. I just went with because it was Karen who has been this the entire film, the, the voice of reason and logic and, you know, trying to get people to calm down. Well, and I think that this is another like muddying of their message. Was she wrong when she was being the voice of reason and she needed the mob? Um, or was she wrong when she brought him to the mob? I don't know. She's fucking dead now. We won't find out. Da-da-da. All right. Anything else? Right. Well, in that case, Donna, you have our rule. Just don't go to Michael Myers' house. Don't go to Michael Myers' house. Also, don't live in Don't be anywhere between Michael Myers and his house. Oh, that reminds me of something else I wanted to say. When everybody's like, go home go in your houses. I was like, motherfucker, no. Stay at the club. Stay in the fucking diner. Go sit on your porch where you can see your fucking neighbors. Don't go inside your house where nobody can see you. What the fuck is wrong with you? Excellent point. Stay in public. Yeah. He's a stealth killer. Just don't stay with the mob. Stay away from the mob, but stay in public. Yes. In small groups of three to five where you can be seen by other small groups of three to five. Yeah. And just don't be between Michael Myers and his house. Yes. All right. Excellent. I have our quote, which is he creeps, he kills, he goes home. Yes. And then finally, I also have our poll, which is what do you think Michael Myers was staring at out of his, out of his sister's window? You know, what the movie showed us was reflections. Every time they showed us someone looking out that window, it was a reflection. I feel like that might be too easy. No, I think, I think actually it was a little bit of a meditative state for Michael. I think Michael looked out that window, he saw himself, and it kind of put him into a state where he was kind of simultaneously not thinking and um, he was at peace. I think he was at peace when he looked out that window. I kind of, I'm at the opposite side of the coin of what you said, Donna. I like the thought of him going into a meditative state, but then I think of Dr. Loomis's line about him having the darkest eyes and nothing inside there. And him realizing that and the whole uh if you stare in the abyss long enough you become the abyss Mm. so that is what i think um i don't know and at this point i don't care a lot uh so i'm gonna go with the moon the lunatic moon making him crazy it's the halloween moon the worm moon oh it's not the worm moon it's the harvest moon in october isn't it whatever I like it though. I, I like it too. I don't know, but I like the I like the worm moon. I forget what month the worm moon is, but I'm pretty sure October's the full moon. Or pff, fuck. <laughs> the harvest moon. 
March is the warm moon. Fucking March. Do not like. Do not like. January is wolf. February is snow. March is worm. April is pink. May is flower. June is strawberry. July is buck. August is sturgeon. The fuck? (laughs) September. Oh, harvest moon is September or October, but also September is the full corn moon. And October is also the hunter's moon. November is the beaver moon. And December is the cold moon. So some of these are decidedly cooler than others. Yeah. For real. As a person whose birthday is in March, I reject soundly the worm moon. It says here, the worm moon got its name from the earthworms that emerge at this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere. Nope. (laughs) But you're also late enough in March. I mean, if you want to like, you don't want to be part of the worm moon and want to be part of the pink moon with me. I mean, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Nope. Pink is almost worse. All right. Reject. (laughs) Here, you can have the Paschal moon or Pascal moon. The Pascal moon is the first full moon on or after March 21st. Oh, yes. Except. And I don't know where the name Pascal comes from, but you can just pretend it's Pet Cemetery if you want to. Okay. All yes. right. So are we ready for our happy place? Yes. Who wants to go first? So we took um, our kid on her first Halloween haunt last night. And, um, you know, she's seven. She's about to be eight. And... I bought tickets for the kid friendly version and in the ad copy for this, it said, um, I can't remember all the exact phrasing, but it definitely said instead of shrieks and screams, your kid will leave with laughter and smiles. So I assumed, and and the, the, the kid friendly version happened earlier in the night. So I assumed that maybe it was like the same trail, but they were like, wouldn't have the scary costumes or something, or maybe it was a separate trail entirely because this is happening over on Turkey mountain with like the hiking trails and stuff. So I was like, this will be fun. It'll be like kid spooky. Listen, (laughs) (laughs) the only difference is that it happens earlier in the day. So it's not fucking dark. That's their difference. They still will have the murder clowns with fucking knives coming at you. So my little nearly eight-year-old in her little pumpkin witch outfit with her little witch stuffy is going through. And the first thing they have is this little tableau of these creepy ballerinas dancing in the forest. And it's really, it's kind of pretty and eerie and haunting and nice. And she's like, this isn't scary. I want to do a scary thing. This isn't scary at all. I'm not scared. And then like we encounters a Michael Myers in a mask. And she's like, it's just a guy in a mask. It's not scary. And, and we have to like tell her to calm down. Like some people like being scared. There are other people in our group and you can't mess up their fun. And then I don't know. <laughs> we get to this, the first real big area of people jumping out and doing things. And there's like, a kid who's like doing this creepy frog hop in this mask with like blood coming down from underneath it. And he's got like a fucking knife. And then somebody else who's doing that boo, and then like get up in your face and like, you know, the step up thing where they're just really close to you. And she is fucking done. She is out. She like freezes in the pathway and I have to pick her up and carry her in her big fluffy fucking dress down a fucking hiking trail 
and and she's freaking out. She's got her face buried in my neck and she's like, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, we, we got to go forward. We can't go back. We got to go forward. And um, me and my partner are talking to her and we're like, all right, listen, if you want to be scared and you like being scared, that's fine. Have fun. Scream, play it up, do whatever you want. It's Halloween. You're like, that's what we're here for. If you really don't want to be scared, though, then you got to play it cool. And she was like, if I don't want to be scared, I have to pretend I'm not scared. And we were like, yeah. And so then I put her on my back and I was giving her a piggyback ride through this thing. And she just starts going, hi, hi, and waving to all of the people, all of the people that are going to jump out at her. I'm like, hey, there's a guy up to our left. And so she'll turn to the left and be like, hi. And uh, the first time that she got one of them to wave back and say hi to her. She was like, Oh, this works. I can do this. And so she's just waving and saying hi. And she's got like her little high shield. And um, we got to this one like tunnel that they had made. And she was like, hi, I can't see you if you're in here, but I'm really scared. So please don't jump out at me. And the, the actor in there did not jump out at her. And, and Leia got a look at them and was like, Oh, hi. And they like kind of waved. And so we went through the whole thing with her just smiling and waving to everybody. And we got to the end and I was like, well, what do you think? She's like, I want to do that five more times. And she was so excited. And she was like, I was really scared, but you were right. When I said, when I stopped being acting scared, they didn't jump out at me anymore. And she just, she really enjoyed it. And she can't wait to go on her next haunt. And, uh, and yeah, it was just, it was really great. And she was so brave and I'm proud of her. That's awesome. That is great. I have spent my whole life when people were like, oh, you should try meditating. Being like, meditation. But I have recently downloaded this. um, It's a free app. You can pay for it, but you don't have to. And it's called Insight Timer. And it has all these uh, guided meditations. And uh, some of them are to help you sleep and there's some self-esteem and some stress guided meditations. And um, listen, um, I am a uh, meditation non-believer and I am into this app. So um, I, I generally, I use it at least once a day and some days I use it two or three times a day. So Uh, I'm trying to actually get into the habit of using it when I wake up to try and give myself a little self-esteem boost in the morning. Uh, I'm back into the habit of sleeping really late in the morning, though, so um, I'm not in that. Anyway, Insight Timer. I recommend it. Even even for you non-meditation type people, I recommend it. All right. Uh, Mine, and it took me a little bit to figure out what mine was and the only one I can kind of keep coming back to is uh, Star Wars and the whole reason why is that they have been leaks possible rumors are dropping around of people showing up in the new different series coming up and of course everyone's losing their mind with Hayden Christensen coming back for the Ahsoka series which I'm like I don't care 
because I'm not a prequel fan that much unless it's Darth Maul. But anyway, I'm rattling so much on this. Um, anyway, so the rumor that I heard, and that is my happy place, is that Grand Admiral Thrawn might be in the Cassian Andor series. So, yeah, that is where I'm at. Nice. I heard something and it may have been a joke. I don't know. But I heard something about Sebastian Stan playing Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian. There's a lot of, like, between fans, Mark Hamill himself, like, there's a lot of people that want him to. And, of course, he was like, yeah, I'll totally do it. I think the biggest vocal supporter is Mark Hamill himself. Yeah. Which I think is fantastic, so but Mark Hamill's fantastic. So yeah, he is. He's awesome. So, and I would be so down for that. Same. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We do appreciate your support. And as always, thank you to our editor, Billy for uh, listening to our shenanigans and making us sound fantastic. We are on social media. We are at, Twitter and Instagram at Beyond Cabin. We have a Facebook page as well as a webpage, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods and beyondthecabininthewoods.com. You can find me at Twitter or Instagram at Callista77. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dragon Goblin. There's no I in Goblin. You can find me on Twitter at Junkyard Poet. All right. Thank you, everybody. And don't read the Latin. You know what? Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts for podcast people. Meow. Meow.